Happy Sabbath once again, everybody. Greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Today is the last installment for this sermon series, Stranger Things. Lessons that we can learn from Stranger Things. I want to welcome you to the Power Hour. This is an opportunity that you have to listen to the Word of God. Uh, not because of the speaker, but because of the Word itself. I pray that as you listen, you may get something that you need. Never ever listen to a sermon and tell yourself it's for somebody else. There's always a message for you in that word. Amen? That's always my prayer when I share a word. I always tell people if the message was hard for you, believe me, it was hard for me. Today's message is obviously in keeping with the theme uh, life lessons from Stranger Things. Today's message is faith is weird. How many people think that faith is weird? No? You don't think faith is weird? So why is it when you pray for something and it doesn't happen, you get upset with God? Why is it when you pray for A, you get B? Why is it when you think the prayer request is urgent, God takes 10 years to answer it? Why is it that no matter how much faith you have, you pray for a life partner, you pray for a child, you pray for a job, it never happens. Faith is weird. You pray for somebody to love you, but God sends difficult people. You pray for peace of mind, God sends difficult people. It seems like difficult people are the answer to everything in God's kingdom. So faith is weird. And I want you to understand that I don't mean that in a, in a way that belittles faith. Faith is weird to people that don't have it. How can you keep praying for healing when your situation is getting worse? That's weird. Statement. What it means to have faith in God is difficult to explain. Especially to those who don't have it. Yet it is a great need. One of the hardest things that any believer can do is try to explain to people why they do what they do. Why they believe what they believe. I've heard people complain, how can she pray for her husband when he keeps abusing her and doing what he's doing? Well, what's wrong with her? Is she blind to what's happening? No, she's not. She has faith. How can a father keep praying for his child? How can he keep pleading for his child when the child keeps acting the fool? Why doesn't he just give up? It's because he has faith. Faith is one of those things that is so difficult to explain it can only be demonstrated. The life of Jesus was lived in the very atmosphere of faith. And so, Stranger Things is going to be taking us into the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is interesting because Mark's purpose, hear me, Mark's purpose is to present Jesus as a servant. That was Mark's goal. Mark's gospel is short, but according to scholars, it's supposedly the first one. Mark was so concise in what he recorded, he doesn't give a lot of details. In fact, there's a word that is used very often in the book of Mark, and that word is immediately. It keeps saying immediately Jesus went to another town. Immediately the blind man was healed. Immediately. It's used so often that Mark... <clears throat> paints a picture of Jesus as a man of action. Jesus was so busy that on his way to do something, he would do something. 
Jesus was going across the, the lake to go heal a man who was demon possessed and he told a storm to shut up on the way. Jesus was on his way to Jairus' house to bring his daughter back to life and then a woman with an issue of blood was healed. He was always doing something on his way to do something. That means that if you're praying for a job and somebody else gets the job, know that Jesus is on his way to your house. Amen, somebody. If God can do it for someone, he can do it for you. And if God can do it for you, he can do it for somebody else. So Jesus is that busy. He is, he is always active. Never, ever look at Jesus like a human being. He can do more for people at the same time than you and I can. In fact, I believe that he is the only being in the universe that can multitask. I know women think that they multitask. That is not multitasking. When you get angry while trying to do a lot of things, you've stopped multitasking. And telling people how busy you are doesn't mean you're busy. Let's go to the text. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Strange text, of course, but a good way to end the series. Mark chapter 8, verse number 22 to verse number 26. And then he, Jesus, came to Bethsaida, the house of fish, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spat in his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. And then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house saying, neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. Jesus Christ's activities took him to different parts of the region. Even though he was born in Bethlehem, he spent two years as a child in Egypt. After spending two years in Egypt as a child and the danger of him being murdered had passed, his parents raised him in Nazareth. We are not told what happened to his father, but the assumption is that Joseph passed away along the way. And all that was left was Mary and Jesus' siblings. Can you imagine growing up in a house with Jesus? You know how it is when you want to steal cookies? Jesus wasn't that guy. You know how it is when you want to steal your parents' change to buy sweets? He was not that dude. He didn't do stuff. Can you imagine being a teenager with Christ? You want to play uh, video games or whatever it is. He wants to read the Bible. How, how do you hang out with Jesus? Can you imagine being in college with Jesus? College, the fun years of your life. And what is he doing? Talking about himself. Because he's Jesus. Okay, his life was spent in service. Even before the Bible records who he was, he was always active. 33 and a half years, that's how much time he spent on this earth. And every single moment was spent in service of somebody else. It didn't matter whether you were crippled. It didn't matter whether you were blind. It didn't matter whether you were rich or poor. It didn't matter whether you were the king or a fisherman. It didn't matter whether you were a woman or a man. You could have been a child, a teenager, an old person. It didn't matter. You could have been religious or non-religious. You could have been whatever religion. Christ made time for people. 
That's what he did. And the reason he did it is because he wanted people to have that word, that experience we call faith. What is faith? According to the Bible, faith is access. Faith is hoping for something that hasn't happened yet. Faith is believing that things will get better when they're not better. Faith is believing in healing when you are sick. Faith is, he is believing in a job when you're broke. Faith is looking at what will be but not is. That's what faith is. An inspired writer said that prayer is the key in the hand of faith. She called faith a hand. Faith is a hand. It unlocks heaven's resources. Whatever you need, faith will give you that access. Now, we live in a generation that thinks that faith is not good at all. That faith doesn't get things done. That faith is hoping beyond hope. That faith is something that you cannot hold on to. That faith is something that you should let go of. Why? Because this generation believes that faith is weird. It doesn't get results. You pray and pray and believe and things work out differently. What's wrong with God? But today's message is about faith. One of those trips of action that Jesus took led him to a town called Bethsaida. The word Bethsaida simply means the house of fish. The word Beth is used a lot in the Bible. Bethlehem, Bethany. All those words, Beth means house. House of healing, house of fish, house of plenty. And now he is in the house of fish. Bethsaida was a fishing town. In fact, this is where Peter, Andrew, and his friends lived. This is where Jesus got them from when they became fishermen. And so the Bible says on his way to Jerusalem, he passes through Bethsaida. And the Bible says, as expected, when people hear that Jesus is coming, they bring somebody who has a problem. Because when people have problems, the best place to take them is to Jesus. Mm -hmm. I think it's because either the mic's not working or I talk too fast. I'm, I'm not sure. Let me, let me rewind a little bit and say that again. Whenever people need something, I don't know about you, but I think the best place to take them is to take them to Jesus. Oh, the mic is working. Beautiful. And this is what people did for three and a half years. No internet, no social media, no WhatsApp, no email. For some reason, people knew he was coming. It's almost as if there were messengers being sent out that Christ was coming. And when he set foot in town, he couldn't go to a restaurant to eat. That place would get packed up. He couldn't go to the church. That place would get packed up. Sometimes all he could do was stand by the riverside and people would pack the shores and Jesus would start talking about his father. That's what he did. He turned a boy's lunch into a buffet because he wanted to inspire faith. The Bible tells us in chapter 8, he fed 5,000 people and he fed 4,000 people at a different time because that's what Jesus does. He meets the needs of people. But Christ noticed a problem. Mark chapter 8 verse number 12, the Bible says, and so testing him, the Pharisees asked for a sign. Jesus upset says, why does this generation always need a sign? What is a sign? Miracles, 
something uh, supernatural in the heavens to show who God is. People always want proof that goes beyond the extraordinary. And so Jesus is heartbroken that why can't you just believe my word? Why do I need to give you a job for you to believe in me? Why do I need to answer your prayers for you to know that I am God? Why can't you worship me just because I'm God, not because you want something? Why do you come to church because you want healing? Why? Why Why do you come because you've got a heartbreak? Don't you know that I'm at all times and in all places at the same time? Don't you know that in the toilet you can talk to me? Don't you know that on your knees in your bedroom I'm there? Stuck in traffic, I'm there. If there's any place I spend time with God, it's when I'm in traffic. Because I need him in that very moment. Jesus is everywhere at once. But when he was on earth, he was a human being, and so he had to walk from town to town. The Bible says that he gets to Bethsaida, and immediately, before he can eat or drink or do anything, they, some people, bring a blind man. Who are these people? We don't know. I'm not going to speculate. It could have been friends. It could have been family. It could have been church friends. It could have been neighbors. It could have been shop owners who were tired of this blind man begging in front of their shop. I don't know who it is. All I know is the Bible says they brought a blind man to Jesus. That was good. But then they went a step further and told Jesus what to do. They said to him, they begged him. Already there's a problem. You should never beg God. You should pray to God. Oh, pastor, what is the difference between begging and praying? Begging is when you ask somebody you think will say no for something. Begging is when you know the person will say no, but you're just trying your luck. Begging is thinking you don't deserve it, therefore you're just trying to see if it will happen. But when you pray, prayer says, Lord, I'm holding on to your promises because you said it is so. The Bible says they begged him. And what they begged for was actually an instruction. Jesus, he is blind, touch him so he can be healed. They are telling the healer how to do his job. Anybody here tell Jesus how to do his job? Right? Don't you tell Jesus what to do in the morning? Lord, please make me safe today when I go to work. You're telling him, I don't want to be in an accident, Jesus. Insurance is a problem. Jesus, please make my marriage happy. Because that's what Jesus does. He's a marriage counselor. He's a traffic policeman. He's a doctor. He's a friend when you're lonely. And when you need a boyfriend, he plays hitch. That's what Jesus does. They're telling him how to do his job. Statement number one. It is good to bring people to the Lord. Just be careful not to tell him how to handle their situation. Pastor, are you saying that it's not okay to be specific in your prayer? Oh no, be specific. Just don't get disappointed if it doesn't happen the way you want it to. Never assume that faith, faith has failed because it didn't go the way you thought. In fact, true faith is not getting what you want. True faith is accepting what you receive. Ooh, process that just for a second. You thought prayer was a, was a list of things to God. No, it's not. Prayer is you learning to think like God. Faith says, whatever will be, will be Selah. So Jesus took the blind man by the hand. Notice, he doesn't say anything to these people. He doesn't say anything to them. He takes the blind man by the hand. 
Anybody here been blind? I know that's a stupid question. I'm sorry to ask it. Has anybody here been blind for a day or two? Have you ever had a procedure done to your eyes or, or anything? No, no, anyone? No? Nobody ever done LASIK surgery or anything like that? Okay, I see a hand over there. I, I had a procedure done. It was a five-hour period. One eye was blind. That was the worst five hours of my life. It is difficult to coordinate when your left eye is closed and your right one is operating alone. You can't see what's happening on this side. So what I did is I made sure my wife was always on this side. The Bible says that Jesus took the blind man by the hand. Where did he take him? It says he took him out of the town. Let me provide you with some context. Jesus comes into the church. Somebody brings somebody with a problem, and rather than dealing with the problem in the church, Jesus takes them outside. Because we like things to happen in church, because if it happens in church, it means it's of God. But Jesus takes this man outside of Bethsaida, the house of fish. He takes him outside to deal with his problem. But how does he do it? He doesn't say to the blind man, let's go. Oh no, he takes him by the hand. What does it mean when God takes you? by the hand. To be led by the hand is to let go of whoever or whatever it is that you're holding on to. I'm not sure how blind people operated back then, but uh, having been in high school and college back home, we had some students who were blind. These guys and females, they knew their way around the school without skipping a beat. They could walk from campus to dorm, from dorm to administration office, from administration office to cafeteria, no problem. In fact, even without speaking, one of them used to be a classmate. He would know who walked in the room just by the way that you walked. He would say to me, test me and see whether I know who, who it is. And we'd sit in the cafeteria and he'd say, this is so-and-so, this is pastor so-and-so. And that amazed me. But what I do know about blind people, when you take them out of their comfort zone and lead them to where they've never been, they become helpless. Because it takes time to know their surroundings. If only we became like blind people in a new surrounding. If only we lived our lives as if we couldn't see and God had to take us by the hand. But at the same time, for you to hold on to Jesus, it means you have to let go of what you're holding on to. Do, do, do you guys understand what I'm saying? For you to take a hold of his hand, you'd have to let go of some things. You'd have to let go of some people. You'd have to let go of some gadgets. You'd have to let go of some ideas. Because the moment you take a hold of Christ, everything you've ever known changes. This is why people don't want to come to the Lord. They come to church. Oh, they don't have a problem coming to church because everybody loves somebody that goes to church. When politicians are campaigning in Christian countries, what do they do? They go to church. When people want to get married, where do they get married? In church. Everything. They don't have pastor, please dedicate the baby. Oh no, it's not the baby that needs dedicating. It's you. But they will bring their babies, bring their marriages, and bring their problems except themselves. But the Bible says this blind man didn't question. He didn't say anything. And Jesus led him out of the town. He led him out of the village. The village of Bethsaida. He led him to a place where the people didn't know him or his problem. The people were not familiar with him. He led him out of the village. Listen to these statements. To be led is to leave the familiar. 
if there's anything that human beings are good at, it is repeating the same process over and over again. If I took your Gojek or your Go, Go, what's the other G app that people use for food, your Grab app, I'm pretty sure that there's one particular restaurant that you like the most. If I look at your travel itinerary, most of you, you only go to Bali. That Bali is the only place that you know. Trying something else scares you. Guys, tell me I'm wrong. If you date a certain kind of girl, that's the kind of girl you're going to date all the time. The name may change, but she looks the same. Okay. I don't know about women. Women just date anything. Y'all are weird. So the, the, the statement I want to deal with right now is, I want to talk about the village. I want to talk about the village. There's an expression, I've dealt with this before. Sometimes it takes a village. Have you heard that expression before? That to raise a child, sometimes you need more than just the parents. To get an assignment done in college, you get put together in groups. Uh, at the office, to get uh, a work done, you get put in groups. Because sometimes there are things that get done by the village. It, it, it happens faster when we do it together. It happens faster when we do it together. If you try to do it alone, it's not going to work out. Sometimes it takes a village. Again, sometimes it takes God operating through the village. We bring somebody to the Lord. We, we encourage them. Pastor Henry and Pastor Honest, you do Bible studies. And then when you're done with the Bible studies, you throw the fish into the fish tank called the church. Granted, some of the fish is piranha. They want to eat them. But it's a fish tank nonetheless. Right? We help you grow. We, we assist you. Because sometimes God uses the village. But then there are times when the village is the problem. And so the Bible says that Jesus took him outside. The, was Jesus being judgmental? Was he, had he decided that these people were not good enough? What's happening in the text? To be led out means whoever took him would get the credit. One of the things I love to do with my, uh, my classmates who are blind is that whenever we'd go to town or go to another place, I love to walk with them. Other people felt weird about that. I wasn't being a hero, but I loved the things they talked about because for blind people, even though they've lost their sight, all their other senses are very heightened. Very, very heightened. And so the things they talk about, their perspective is always interesting. And there's nothing, Pastor Henry, more interesting than a blind theology student. That is a brother with little distraction. So the stuff that comes out of them. So I loved to walk with them, leading them places. But then I started noticing that I started feeling like I was better than everybody else. Just because I was walking the blind guy. No, no, no. He was blind. This, the blind guy. I felt like a hero. Now, can you imagine the people of Bethsaida? They come to Jesus. They tell him he's blind. Help him. Touch him, heal him. If Jesus did it in the town, number one, they would have taken the credit. Number two, this man would have given the people the credit. So the first thing that Jesus does is he takes him outside of the town and heals him. We'll talk about the healing in a moment. But I want to focus on that first, number one. But number two, there's another reason he took them outside. You're not going to like this one. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 21, Jesus began to denounce some cities. And among those cities, he, men he mentions Chorazin and Bethsaida. Listen to what he said. 
Then Jesus began to denounce the towns where he had done so many of his miracles because they hadn't repented of their sins and turned to God. What was wrong with Bethsaida in the past? It's that even though Jesus had performed miracles, even though blind eyes had been opened and dead people had been raised and people had been fed with a little bit of food, for some reason, the miracles did not change them. And God was fed up with them that in order to heal a man, he was willing to separate him from the group just to make sure that this man did not get contaminated by those people and their thinking. Mm. To be let out means wherever God is bringing you out of is not good enough to handle your miracle. Let me stand up here for a second. In case you didn't know, not everybody can handle your blessing. Not everyone can handle your blessing. I know you're excited when God does something for you. I know you want to stand in front of the church and testify. But guess what? Not everybody is happy about it. In fact, if you're surrounded by enough negative people, your blessing will start to feel like a curse. Some of you, you've been blessed with awesome jobs that allow you to travel around the world, but you don't even tell people anymore because they think that you're showing off. Some of you, I would look for you to do your job in the church and, oh, sorry, Pastor, I'm in Spain. Sorry, Pastor, I'm in Europe. When did you go? Ah, Pastor, you know how it is. You can't even testify. God blesses you with a car. You can't tell nobody about that. Just don't, don't post about your car. It's, people misunderstand you. They misunderstand you. Uh, to be let out means wherever God is bringing you out of is not good enough. But please understand that it's, it is the Spirit of God that shows you where to go and what to do. Not your feelings, not your thoughts, but the Spirit of God. And Jesus decided to heal this man outside. Here's another thought I want you to receive. Receiving a miracle with no desire to, ch to be changed by it leads to change nonetheless. Let me process that for you. Everybody wants to receive a miracle. Even people that don't believe in God, they end up praying for miracles. There's a reason why some hospitals have a chapel or uh, 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 the mosque, the little mosque area for prayer. Do you know why they put that in hospitals? Because if there's any place that people need miracles, it's in a hospital. Because they know whether you believe in God or not, when your loved one is lying on the bed, you need something to shake your fist at. And that being is God. Everybody wants a miracle. My problem and the problem that Jesus had is that people wanted miracles more than they wanted him. People want breakthroughs in life. They want God to change their circumstances. In fact, we even go as far as to make promises to God. If you fix my crazy kid, I will serve you till I die. And before Easter, their promise has died. If you do this for me, I'll do that. If you give me this person, I'll do it. Lord, if you give me a child, I will make sure I take them to church all the time. And when the child comes, it's the reason you're not going to church. People want the miracle, but they don't want the miracle worker. But listen to the statement. The statement says that if you receive the miracle, you should desire to change according to God's standard. Because if you don't change according to God's standard, you are going to change nonetheless. What does that mean? The more God keeps blessing you and the more you don't change, the less you think you need God. 
And the less you think you need God, the less you need God's people. And the less you need God's people, the less you need people in general. And you start feeling, huh, this job is because of me. This business is because of me. This relationship, it's because of me. All those good grades, it's because I practice the laws of productivity and I get A's all the time. It's all me. So if you don't acknowledge God, if you don't change as a person, you will become worse, not better. And that's why, my friends, God is not answering your prayers. Let's go home. That's the reason he's not answering your prayers. Because he knows the moment you get it, you are not going to say it was God. You're going to give yourself the credit. Hmm. It gets worse. And for if the miracles I did... For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago. To add salt to the wound, Jesus says, you, Chorazin, you, Bethsaida, the cities of the people of God, when I did miracles for you, you didn't believe in me. But if I go to these wicked cities and I perform a miracle, those people repent and follow me. My brothers and sisters, why is it that when we get a blessing from God, we never praise him? But why is it that when somebody outside is blessed, they acknowledge that it was God? How do I know? When an atheist is in an accident and they don't die, they're like, ooh, thank God. Ah, so you believe in God after all. Sometimes outsiders see God in places and miracles where his own people can see him. I told you. Couple prays for a baby, God gives them, they complain about it. Another couple can't have a kid. Somebody gets a job, they complain about it. Somebody else doesn't have a job. Sometimes we forget the basics of faith. And that's why I said faith is weird. Because when God answers the prayer, we're not grateful. When he doesn't answer the prayer, we complain. What is it that you want? You want God to be in the middle somewhere? There you go, no, there you go, no. Is that, is that what we want God to do? And then the Bible says that Jesus spat in his eyes. Have you ever seen somebody spitting? Have you been spat on before? See, most of the guys said yes. What did you do until she spat on you? Okay, my bad, my bad. Uh, we're, we're recording the sermon. Being spat on is not a positive thing. In fact, when you spit on somebody, it means that that person disgusts you They've broken your heart. They've done something bad. They don't believe what you believe. My son is teething. And for some reason, he's starting to spit a lot. And I, I misunderstood why. And I was shouting at him. And my mother-in-law said, no, he's, he's not spitting. It's because of, of his teeth. I'm like, that's a nasty habit. Spitting is not good. Especially when you're looking at me and you spit. This is a blind man. Blind people, their senses are heightened. I can imagine... He's walking with Jesus, he can hear his footsteps, and then all of a sudden, he hears a poo in his face. Listen, if you're going to heal me, punch me, trip me, step on me, just don't spit on me. Not only did he spit on him, the Bible says he laid hands on him. So he spat in his eyes, and he started rubbing the saliva in. Isn't there an easier way for Jesus to do this? Hasn't he spoken... In fact, to the one person, he said to him, look, just go to the priest. And as he was going, he was healed. Why do you need to spit in his face? So it's my job to kind of explain 
the problem. So Jesus spits on him. He doesn't tell him, hey, listen, uh, I'm about to spit on you. Get ready. No, he spits on him and then says, so what do you see? Uh, Jesus, I see saliva. He spat on him. And, and, and in this coronavirus generation, spitting on people, not a good idea. But Jesus spat in his eyes. I had a burden to try and figure out what's happening here. And a lot of scholars have a lot of rubbish to say. But there's, there's something, uh, some points I want to make with you. First of all, listen to this one. It's a basic one. What I got from Jesus spitting on him is simply this. That every part of Jesus' body has power. Oh, you got it. Okay, that's good. Oh, I was, I was worried. I was very worried. His feet, his hands, his mouth, his eyes, everything about him, even his saliva. Even his saliva does miracles. A woman touched his clothes, his non-branded clothing, and her problem went away. And so whether he's being creative or being provocative, he spits in the man's face. Doesn't it feel sometimes that when you're praying for something, doesn't it feel like God is spitting in your face? Doesn't it feel like I can see, now I can feel this liquid slowly dripping down my face and you're asking me, can you see? That's not even half the problem. The church is the body of Christ, by the way. Therefore, there ought to be power in every part of the church. Amen, somebody. Okay, I, I just threw that in as a bonus. If every part of Jesus is good, then every part of the church ought to be good. That wasn't even in the sermon notes. Okay. Listen to the statement. I hope this gets it. The greatest evidence of faith is not the miracle itself. Pause. When your, ans when your, when your answer is prayed, that's terrible English. When your prayer is answered, the answer is not the evidence of faith. Stop thinking that getting what you want is evidence that you have faith. That is not the evidence of faith. The evidence of faith is faith itself. That you have faith is what's important. Not the results that faith gives you. Oh, that's hard in this uh, results-driven generation. That, that's hard to swallow. Graduate earlier, get married young, get kids, become a grandparent before you turn 40. That's the generation we live in. But then God says, you're 45 and you still don't have a child. Do you still trust me? Faith is going through the process of arriving at the miracle no matter the method, even if it means God spitting in your face. Even though they were out of town, it doesn't mean that there were no people around. By the way, it doesn't mean that there were no people around. Hmm. The man looked around after Jesus asked the question. Notice he didn't complain because when you're desperate, you will take anything that God gives you. People who complain are people who are not desperate. Write it down somewhere. People who complain are not desperate enough. The man said, yes, I see people, but I can't see them clearly. In fact, they look like trees. How does a blind man know what trees look like? Did anybody think about that? Is anybody thinking right now? How does he know what trees look like? I don't care how verbally gifted you are. You cannot describe a beautiful woman to a man who can't see, let alone a tree. You can describe Beyonce as much as you want to a blind man. It is not going to compute for him. Because if you're blind, you can't even do this. He can't see that. 
You can't describe a nose. Oh, her nose is small. Who said big noses are not beautiful, amen? It's difficult to know what a tree looks like if you've never seen it. So here's some speculation. Speculation. Educated guesses. Number one, it's possible he wasn't born blind. That's the first one. It's not said in the text, to be clear. It's possible he could see before. Prilde is looking at me like, uh, Pastor, what are you talking about? I'm talking about a blind man that Jesus spat in his eyes and he sees people and they look like trees. It's in the Bible. So I didn't make this up. So number one, it's possible that he wasn't born blind. The other, the other option is it was just an expression that he was using. It may not have been literal. Whatever the case is, this man's eyesight was not perfect. Apparently, Jesus' miracle working power ran out of power. The battery was on empty, and so as he healed him, he wasn't healed all the way. So let's recap for a second. You, you take him away from the people that he knows, and you take him out of town, you spit in his eyes, and the miracle is half-baked, not even full. Partial blindness is more dangerous than total blindness. Partial blindness is more dangerous than total blindness. Because a blind man knows I shouldn't drive. But there's a bunch of partially blind people driving every single day. Because a partially, a spiritually partially blind person thinks they know, but they don't. In the previous verses, Jesus says, you see, but you don't see. You hear, but you don't listen. And that's a spiritual condition. That some people are not all the way spiritual. They're just spiritual enough. They can see, but they can't see clearly. That is more dangerous than being spiritually blind. Being outside the church. Being outside the church is better than being in the church, but you can't see God clearly. It's the people who are partially blind who do the most damage in God's house. Preachers who don't really know the word of God are dangerous. People who have no relationship with God should not talk about God. And so this man is partially blind. But that's not the end of his story. His story has a continuation. Listen to this. And then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again. One more time with the saliva. Started rubbing it again. And by the way, there was actually a Jewish uh, belief or a Jewish custom rather that there was healing properties in saliva. So this wasn't a new practice to rub saliva on somebody's eyes. Did it work? I don't think so. Because the last time I checked, cataracts and blindness is not healed by saliva. Saliva breaks down food, but not blindness. So whatever reason Jesus told to, chose to do it, it's because faith is weird. But he does it a second time. So, some things require a second chance. Some things require a third chance. Some things require God coming back again. Not because God failed, but because your faith is still growing. Let me give it to you as a statement. He needed the second touch, not because Jesus had failed the first time. Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails. Healing a blind man is nothing to him. The issue is, where was this man's faith? He needed a second touch, not because Jesus had failed the first time, but because his faith was growing. Stop expecting God to do things completely when your faith is not there yet. People pray for healing on so many things. 
People pray for breakthroughs on so many things. And they wonder, Pastor, how come God is taking so long? It's not God. It's your faith. Your faith is still growing. That's why faith is weird. Guess what? Faith grows. Faith is not a package that Tokopedia delivers. It comes in small chunks and pieces. How does faith grow? Faith grows with every problem that you deal with. People always ask, Pastor, will you ever get to the place where you're willing to die for God? You know what my response is? My response is, I am struggling to live for him right now. How can I die for him? Living for God is hard enough than dying for him. So in other words, faith is one step at a time. One blindness at a time. If God has to use saliva, he'll use saliva. Whatever he chooses to use, your faith has to grow first. Then the Bible says that his sight was completely restored. Do you understand what completely restored? It's almost as if he got the eyes of a newborn baby after three months. Because in three months, the vision is blurry. His eyesight was clear. Jesus sent him away, saying, don't go back into the village on your way home. What? It, it, it's, it's strange enough that you heal him using saliva, but now you tell him, don't go share the story with the people of Bethsaida? I, I, I told you already that there are some people you cannot share what you've experienced. Because the first thing the people have done is, actually, you were never blind. That's why the saliva worked. Oh, okay, so God didn't do anything. Oh, you, you got the job? It was, right now the economy is doing so well, anybody can get a job. Oh, you got married? Marriage is happening all the time. You got a kid? It's biology. No need to pray. People have a habit of explaining away the blessings of God. And so Jesus said, dude, do not go back to that village. They are toxic. End of story. He had to avoid the spiritually blind to maintain his newfound sight. What was wrong with the people of Bethsaida? They were spiritually blind. This man's problem was physical. Theirs was spiritual. And the last thing that Jesus needed was for this man to go back to the same village and become contaminated just as they were. Now he would become an unbelieving, full-sighted person. So Jesus said, go home, but don't go through that 